Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Cool. How are we all doing this evening? We all good? Excellent. Uh, I... uh, I'm going to kick off a new series, actually. Uh, it's, it's, I'm doing a prequel to the series because probably next week Kevin's going to do the intro to the series. So rather than say that we're doing two intros, I'm doing the prequel, and we have to be very clear about that. Uh, the series is one that we're going to be running for a number of weeks, uh, and it's going to be called The Always Series. And what we're kind of looking at is all of the... Uh, the things that just when we give our lives to God, when we invite God into our lives, there are certain principles that we can base our lives upon that underpin our faith, uh, that are applicable in every single facet of our life, every single circumstance, every scenario. They're just totally applicable. They're applicable across the board. Uh, and, and that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm actually, when I was saying that there, I was remembering... This week I walked into my house, I walked upstairs, uh, I walked into, where, we, where my, upstairs we have uh, the bathroom and my kid's bedroom, and there were these rules that were stuck up on the wall, and my, my son had written these rules, not my wife, not me, my son had decided he was going to write these rules on the door, and uh, I was asking him about them on the way over here, and he said, I said, which ones did you write on the bathroom? Because I never actually read them. All I read was Ben wasn't allowed in there, who's my youngest son. <laughs> but uh, he said, well, uh, he went through them all. And two of them that really stuck out in my head, one of them says, don't do any treasure hunts, which I thought was a bit interesting because I don't know what they were going to be finding in a toilet, uh, what treasure hunt they were looking for. And the other one was, uh, always look where you're going when you're going, <laughs> which I didn't know who that was aimed at. <laughs> and uh, they, they, these, are, these were his idea of the always for our bathroom and the always for, uh, for the bedroom. And we're going to be looking at the always just in our faith, the always in uh, how we live our lives. And just we're going to be looking at various concepts over the weeks. We're be looking at things that probably you're very familiar with. Things like honour, honouring authority, honouring uh, your parents, honouring uh, leaders, honouring just each other, just all sorts of uh, iterations of honour, of, of things like uh, loving your neighbours, of uh, you know, having sort of unconditional forgiveness. All of these uh, principles that really underpin everything that our faith is built upon. Is everyone looking forward to the idea of like, we're just going to re-explore these new things. We're going to set these things down. They're going to be, a, these are foundational points. These are reference points, milestones in our walk with God. And, and we want to understand them in a better way. What I want to talk about is just how we even view these in the first place. Because I think that when we talk, when, we, when you just throw out words like honour and forgiveness and loving neighbours and, and unconditional and always. One of the things is that we as people, we all kind of recognise that these are kind of compulsory in their nature, that these are part of our faith. But at the same time, I, I know myself and I would imagine many of us here sometimes treat them a little bit like they're discretionary. 
Like that we have a little bit of a leeway in there. It's like, well, we can forgive, but we can decide how much we're going to forgive. We can love, but we're going to maybe decide how much we're going to love. We can honor, you know, there's limits to how much we're going to honor. And there's just, I want to look at how we interpret these. We are often looking for a compromise. Uh, I think we look for, and we look for in all sorts of ways in life, and particularly at times where we, we're relating to God. And we, we're looking for that compromise, looking for that way to keep us and to keep God happy. People know what I mean. Just trying to find, searching for that middle ground. Searching for that place where we can keep God happy, but at the same time, we can keep a little bit back for ourselves. Uh, And that kind of reminds me a lot of my kids. Uh, I don't know, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who know what it's like to have kids, and those who think they know what it's like to have kids. (laughs) And there's all sorts of things when you have kids. You have all these ideas. I know they have all sorts of television programs about how you should raise children, and I'm sure they're brilliant. And they've got all sorts of books about how you should do it. But when you're actually doing it yourself, there's certain realities that you have to kind of face. There's certain things that come up that, you know, you never really necessarily expected. Uh, And and one of them is just, I'm kind of going through this uh, with with my kids, and I've been reassured it will probably go on for the next 20 years, uh, (laughs) which is very reassuring. But, uh, like... I'm, I find myself constantly bartering with my children, uh, negotiating them. And I know, before they tell me, I know children are like terrorists, you should never negotiate with them. But, uh, but you, find yourself, you, should, you find yourself negotiating with them. You'll be, like, you'll be sitting down at the dinner table and say, well, uh, you have to finish your dinner if you want to have dessert. That's a fairly reasonable thing to say. But the reality is you don't want them to go to bed like without eating anything. So you have to put a sweetener in there. So they'll say, well, do I have to eat it all? And you say, well, you have to eat half of it. And they say, okay, well, what about five mouthfuls? And you're like, well, what about six? And they say, do they have to be large mouthfuls? And you say, well, yeah, they've got to be large. And you say, well, a large one for you or a large one for me? And, you know, you find yourself, I think they're going to be lawyers when they grow up or something. But like, I find myself constantly, and you go for the, you know, be like, they're supposed to have four and they have three, and then they choose. They just, it's like just to rub it in. They'll make sure they have half a one for the last. And you're like, oh, that's not a real one. I'm like, well, you know, it, you never said how big they had to be, and you make them, and I try and trick them. I'll, I'll not count properly. So they'll be like, is that four I've had? No, 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 it's only three. And they've had three like ten times. <laughs> you do these sorts of things because you're, uh, you know, because that's what you do as parents, to try and uh, trick your kids into doing what you want them to do. Uh, but... I think sometimes with God that we, we like to give God a counter-offer. We, we like to sometimes negotiate a little bit with him. Uh, these concepts that I talked about, these concepts that we're going to be exploring and understanding, not in terms of maybe how we understand them as humans or, or how we've been taught them in school, but how God actually intended them to be, the purpose of them, the meaning of them, what his actual definition of them is. We're going to be looking into those things, but, but how often or how voluntarily do we enter into these concepts? How voluntarily do we adopt them? Uh, do we walk into them boldly and, and, and grab hold of them? Or does sometimes we need to be dragged kicking and screaming to adopt and, and to take on some of these values? Uh, I think that the reality is many of us have to be brought back to these values, brought back to these principles, because we have a natural inclination just to drift just to drift away from the source, to drift away when, when something is left unchecked. I've heard it said many times, you have to k- 
care for a garden for it to stay in order. If you leave your garden, and I know this, I can testify this, some of you will have seen my garden. Uh, If you leave your garden to run wild, it will run wild and it will not drift towards chaos. Uh, It will not drift towards order, it will drift towards chaos. It will drift away from that which is good, but to something that is wild and lawless. And, uh, and, And, you know... Why, why is that the case? Why is, why is that our sort of natural inclination? And why do, we, why do we sort of almost take on these principles or sometimes through gritted teeth just sort of in, endure it almost? What, what, what is it within ourselves that causes that sort of fight back? I want to just set out uh, just something from the absolute outset. God does not horse trade with us. God does not horse trade. He does not negotiate uh, that's not, that's not God. In, in Isaiah 14, 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so it shall come to pass, and as I have purposed, so it shall stand. See, his, his purposes and his plans, they, they surpass our understanding. They, they surpass him because he has something that has got far greater vision. It looks way beyond what we could ever imagine, what we could ever see. It, 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 where we can only see to the horizon, he sees beyond the horizon. You know, we, we, so, so sometimes his plans and his purposes don't necessarily make any sense. Sometimes the things he asks of us don't necessarily make any sense. But that's because we can only see so far. God can look around corners. Don't forget, God can look around corners. God can look through time. God can look into the hearts of people. So when he is speaking into us, when he is leading us and guiding us and setting down these principles, it's because he knows something that we don't. So he can't horse trade with us. There's a, in the Old Testament, there's a, around about the time when the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness, uh, there's, they're, they're quite a scary bunch. And, and some of the kings... Uh, whose territories they pass by are kind of terrified of them because there's so many of them. Uh, and there's this one king, a Moab king, who he goes to this prophet called Balaam. And he goes to Balaam and, and, and he basically says, look, I'm so afraid of these Israelites that I want your God to curse them so that, because I think they're too mighty for me. What he didn't realize was that Balaam's God was the God of Israel. So he kind of went to the wrong person to try and get some help. And... Uh, God said, you can go and speak to that guy. He spoke to Balaam and said, you can go to, uh, I think it was King Balak. He said, you can go to King Balak and you can, you can, you can prophesy to him, but you have to say exactly what I say. Uh, and, and one of the things he says, which I think just speaks so much to how steadfast, how resolute God is. Uh, he says, he actually gives, I think it's like three prophecies and they're worth reading. It's probably not what the Moab king wanted to hear. But it, but it was awesome to hear how God stuck behind his people, how, how uh, resolute he was in, in defending them. Uh, it says in Numbers 23, verse 19, it said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. And in other versions it says that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? We have to understand that God's words are, are steadfast, steadfast. In Isaiah 40, verse 80, uh, 8, it says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Stands forever. These are strong words. When God's word is spoken, it is not spoken in vain. It is spoken with purpose. Sometimes we speak 
And the words that come out of our mouth mean nothing. Who's ever said something and know fine well that you have absolutely no intention of uh, following that through? I, I was at a wedding once and uh, this guy got up and he was praying for this couple and he said, right, uh, everybody at the end, I'd like you all to stand up. And we prayed for this couple that had just got married, a wonderful couple, love them. They, have, uh, they got married a year before us and they have even more children than we have amazingly and they're an awesome couple wonderful couple but this the the, the guy who was uh, preaching uh, or just just delivering the message said uh, he prayed and then afterwards he says right guys who's with me who's going to pray for this couple every single day and everyone in the church said yeah we're going to pray for this couple every single day and I remember just thinking to myself well that's a lie <laughs> I mean I'm not even probably going to pray for them for the rest of this week <laughs> If you're really honest about it, right? But you say stuff like this because, yeah, we're going to pray, we're going to go, we're going to do, we're going to whatever. But in reality, you know that you're just kind of going along with it. God doesn't work like that. When words pass God's lips, they have meaning, they have substance, they stand forever. They have meaning. His plans just arc over all that we see, over all of the generations at once. His gaze extends beyond the horizon. And to, to change course, you have to understand, for God to change course, for him to, if for him to take back something that he said would contradict that which he has already set in motion, to undermine the principles in which his kingdom is founded. It would be, it actually says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 13, it says, if we are faith, faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. When he speaks forth words, he can't undo those words because that would be to deny himself. It would be to deny the plans and the purposes and the, just the, the vision that he has set forth in his people. His vision is unswerving. And so once he utters words, they stand as an always. Now, I wanted to put that across because I wanted us to all understand that 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 when God speaks, that it is eternal, that it is an always. But I think particularly growing up in the West, and maybe growing up at the time that I've grown up, and maybe some of you guys have as well, is that we are conditioned to view life through much more of a democratic process. And the idea of serving or following a monarch is one that uh, isn't one that comes necessarily the most naturally to us all. We, we, we look, in a democratic process, you, you, think about, uh, you think about things from your own rights and your own perspective and what's best for you and, and, and all that sort of thing. And it's not that there's anything wrong with a democratic process. I'm not suggesting that at all. But what I'm saying is that that kind of ideology sits a little bit in contradiction to the way God rules because God doesn't rule through a democratic process. He doesn't take the views of all of us and decide what the best thing to do is. He knows what the best thing to do is. And so therefore he lays it out and he says, we are going this way, follow me. But I think just we, we can sometimes struggle in that. And, and I wanted to talk today and try and remedy that conflict. I want us to, to maybe approach it from a new direction and, and renew the prism through which we view our interaction with God. So that, so that if that is a problem for you, if you see, if you like, I think maybe what we could say is that there's probably plenty of things that, that we accept without any worry whatsoever, but there are always one or two things, just those little things that are a little bit too close for home, maybe those things that just we have always had that struggle with, that we've always naturally drifted away from. And I, and I want to just uh, approach this from a new direction. I want to take 
our interaction with God from a completely different perspective. And I'm going to do that by, first of all, kind of talking about a trend within movies. Because, and don't worry, I'll get back to it. But has anyone noticed that there are an awful lot of superhero movies? Now, I wish that I was a kid right now. Because there were no superhero, kid, uh, super, superhero movies when I was a kid. And I would love them. But superhero movies are kind of funny in a way. Because when I grew up, superhero comic books, in which all these superhero films are based on... It was kind of a bit of a subculture. It was a bit of a weird subculture. I didn't read comic books as a kid, and none of the people I hung out with did. I know plenty of people did, but it wasn't something that was very commonly done. And yet now it is the like number one blockbuster. In fact, if you look, I read an article uh, about a year ago that was talking about all the movies that are going to be made between now and uh, 2020. And it was saying there was like something like it was something along the lines of 72 or 92 of the films, the big blockbuster films, are going to be all sort of franchise films, all going to be like continuations, prequels or sequels or, you know, one and many of. You know, you've got your Star Wars, you've got your X-Men, you've got your Marvel Avengers, you've got all of these things. And it was going to, they added them up and it was going to be like 72 of them. Or 92 of them. It was, it was an incredible amount. And so that leaves very little amount for all the... Uh, yeah, it's amazing for all the guys. Are like, really? It's going to be 72 Marvel movie films? Yeah, there really is. Uh, I've had this thought that I've uh, been struggling to get away with, uh, get away from over the, the last couple of weeks. What did I say? Get away with. Get away with. Well, get you maybe a little bit. That was a bit of a Freudian slip. But I was thinking... Uh, but... What I was thinking about was, we're already beginning to see it, but what would be the, the franchise, the obvious franchise, that hasn't already been started or, or hasn't been recognised as a franchise? I was thinking, biblical characters. Because you've got like hundreds of them, and they're all sort of in this one place. But they've already started doing it. Like you, last year, I think they had Moses and they had Noah, right? And I know that you're kind of like, well, you know... That's kind of, but that's how it starts. I mean, I imagine there's going to be more. I don't know what ones there are to come, but I'm sure there's going to be more. But what about this for an idea? What about this for an idea? So you have Elijah, Elijah and he's going up against, you know, the, 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 the king that's uh, trying, to, trying to destroy Israel, King Ahab. But he can't do it all on his own. So he goes on the run and he calls on the help of Moses and Noah and Samson and Jesus and all of them and they bring more I mean and they have like the BC Avengers age of Ahab and they bring them all together now I'm not saying this is a good idea what I'm saying is I bet you in 10 years this is true I bet you this is happening I bet you they bring all of the heroes from the Bible and bring them together taking on the, the wicked people from the Bible you're laughing now, right? You're laughing now. But, but well, it'll happen. Because I bet you it'll happen. What was the, what's been the main criticism? The main criticism of the, the recent biblical epic films. From what I've heard, the biggest one has been that they're not very factual. They're not very accurate. They're quite sensational. Well, that's how Hollywood does things. And I don't think that's going to be a trend that changes. I think for every single biblical epic that they bring out, and there's they're definitely going to bring more out because they make money. But they're going to continue to get more and more sensational and less and less uh, sort of genuine interpretations of what happened. Genuine interpretations of God. 
What do they, even in the comic book films, they gray it. They gray it. They make the goodies a little bit gray and the baddies a little bit gray and everyone's kind of a little bit in between. I'm telling you, I see that those films that we look at now and go, wow, awesome, they're making books about, uh, films about the Bible. In 10 years from now, they'll be still making those films. But are those films going to be representative of what we understand? Are they going to be representative of what we know? Because that trend, that trend of sensationalism over accuracy only goes one way. It only drifts one way. It only tends one way. And I could see this right now. In 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we're going to have Christians protesting outside of the next showing of uh, the BC Avengers. And, uh, and you know what? It will make even more money because of it. It will make even more money. See, the devil has been perverting God's word since the very beginning. The very beginning. Let me read to you from Genesis 3, verse 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, the woman being Eve, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the devil came along, and he queried with Eve what God had really meant when he said that. came along and said, Are you sure that God meant that? Are you sure that's what he said? Well, he said it, so he meant it. He said it, so he meant it. But, but that is the nature of the enemy. That he will come along and he will pervert and he will undermine the truth that you might read right in front of you or you might have heard from God. He will undermine it. He will try and take away from it. Throughout the Bible, there are prophecies of many lying voices that will compete for our attention. In 2 Peter Verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And then in 1 John, verse 4, verse 1, chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, there are going to be voices, there are going to be words that we hear, and they're going to test us. They're going to test what we really know and what our lives are really built upon. They're going to come along and they're going to separate certain people. There'll be people, and the Bible says it, there'll be people who go along with these false prophets, with these false teachers, with these heresies, with these... uh, these um, perversions of what God is saying. He says people will do that because, because they won't be stood and they won't be founded and they won't be built and they won't be standing upon the word of God. There's only one way, absolutely one way to stay that course, to stay upon the right course. And it's simply this. It is no more complicated than this. It's that you just have to know God. You just have to know God. Look at, look at God and how how he interacted with man before sin entered the world, when it was just Adam and Eve. Did man bow down and chant to him? 
Did they perform rituals and sacrifices before him? No. He simply walked and he simply talked with those people. Just walked and he kept them close. It was no more complicated than that. He simply walked with them and they knew him. They knew him. That was it. They just walked with him. He didn't require anything further than that. He didn't want anything more than that. He just wanted to walk with them. He just wanted to talk with them. Keep them close. See, he listens to us because we listen to him. Because there's a dialogue, because there's a conversation, because there's a relationship. See, God does not place obligations upon our relationship with him. We sometimes place obligations, but God doesn't place obligations. He just wants relationship. See, rather than, rather than placing obligations, he just wants to have a relationship and through that relation, draw out of us the responses that re- uh, address any conflict within our hearts. Just that relationship alone. See, we share a covenant relationship with him. We're not trying to please him And we won't ever please him by the things we do. The only thing that will please him is that natural conversion of our hearts that that, that he produces by his love. That's the only thing that pleases him. That's the only thing that ever touches his heart is when, when we are moved by that relationship we have with him. See, it's like a father. As a parent, you delight in the small incremental developments of your children. You see the little things. My, my daughter, who's four weeks old, she, my, my wife will come in and say, she's smiling, she's smiling. You're not, a baby's not apparently supposed to... Actually, she's, she's five weeks, actually, now I think about it. But uh, she said, they're not meant to smile until they're six weeks. She's smiling. I smile all the time, and I never think anything of it. But she's a little baby, and she's beginning to smile. I think it's the greatest thing in the world. It's the most amazing thing ever. It's the only thing she can do. But you marvel and you revel in the little incremental changes, the little amounts of development you see in them. And God is exactly the same. He revels in our maturity. He revels at just the little things in which we change, in which he, his love transforms our hearts and, and, and we respond to him. And as he sees that just that grows and that changes and that matures, that brings delight to him. It brings delight just as it would to absolutely any father. So, uh, that we would, we would please him through that unified vision. That the more that we get to know him, the more you get to know someone the more you join your life with them, the when you share your heart, when you have covenant relationship with them, you, you share a vision, right? You share a direction. You want to go to the same place. It said David had a heart after God's own heart. And really, I think that just meant was that when he joined his heart with God's, so too did the directions of his actions overlap with God's plans. It just overlapped with his plans. It just He had a heart after God's own heart. Well, it just meant that he did what God had planned. It was no more, it was, there was no more complication, no more sophistication to that. He just loved God, and because of that, he just did the things that fulfilled the plans of God. It's always because of that transformation that drives us. Not because somebody said so, not because we were told you have to do this and you have to do that. And this always series is not going to be about you must do this and you must do that. It's that it be the natural transformation of your heart. When you fall in love with someone, When you fall in love with someone, you are looking for absolutely any opportunity to just be noticed by them. When I say fall in love, I mean you get a crush. Uh, But that then turns into love. 
but when you think that you might be in love with someone and you just want to do something that will please them and you just look for the opportunity just to, to, for them to allow you to make a cup of tea for them something like benign or something like so oh, you should let me do them a cup of tea and over time you know if you don't check yourself you can begin to resent just being asked to nip through at the kitchen <laughs> there was a time when you were desperate to make a cup of tea and now it's like oh I'm watching Top Gear do I have to <laughs> what you have to do is you have to come back what, what am I thinking what am I thinking? There was a time where I, where I would have done anything just to be allowed to say a few words. I'm not going to take that for granted. And we like that. We likewise with God. When, when God, when we're enveloped by God's love, when we're enveloped by just that relationship with Him, you want to forgive. You want to honor. You want to show kindness. These are the natural impulses that just knowing God develops within us. It's not about trying. It's not about setting out these rules that I have to do A, B, and C. It's about allowing God to work upon your heart, to just be close, to just walk with Him and to talk with Him. And through the walking and through the talking, all of that other stuff just happens. We adopt His nature. We adopt His nature. And as we lay down whatever desires we might have had before and follow him, as soon as we do that, as soon as we take the focus off of, off of everything that we had maybe been holding so dearly, God adds to us the deeper and more fulfilling needs within us. And it says in 2 Peter, and if I could have someone come up, because I'm almost finished. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 to 4. It says, by his divine love, power... By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires it's right there just by just getting to know him by coming to know him everything is added all of that stuff all of the 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 principles all of the foundational qualities that we perceive to be uh, we we know to be important these are not disciplines of our human flesh these are not disciplines of our human nature this is about us just getting to know God just coming close to him I, I was speaking with a colleague at work, and we were talking. She's, she's not a Christian. I think she went to, a, she went to like a, a Catholic church when she was a, she was a kid, and, and, and she, she doesn't have much time for church whatsoever. And I was kind of talking. She was asking me what I was doing over the weekend. I told her I was, uh, you know, giving a preach. And, uh, and she said, what are you preaching about? And I kind of told her about this. And one of the things we set, talked about was, you know, people, people who aren't, maybe aren't in church already, they are not looking for a God to serve. That might sound like quite a harsh thing to say, but it's true. They aren't looking for a God to serve. People are not desiring more rules to conform to. What people want is to connect and to relate and to be vulnerable and to feel safe. And that is what a relationship with God is. It is coming to a place where you can lay your whole life totally bare before him 
and allow him to touch you, allow him to work upon you, allow him to speak into your life and tell you who you really are and to take away all of the regrets and all of the mistakes and all of the things that you wish you hadn't done. This evening I, I know that God is pulling on, on certain hearts and he's, he's just saying, will you, will you walk with me? Will you walk with me? I know all about you. I'd love for you to know all about me. Don't worry about what you think a Christian should be. Just get to know me and absolutely everything else will be added to you. See, he he isn't looking for people that are striving, striving for results. Often we see rules where he just sees response. Often we see demands where he just sees desire. He wants to transform us not by us constraining ourselves, constraining our flesh, by opening up, but by opening up our hearts to him and allowing him just to, to speak into us. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.